0: Thank <laughs> you. I'm Lauren Gardner, and this is Sad Girl Jams, a podcast about music, feminism, mental health, the intersection of those three things, and the kind of world we build around them. If you're new here, welcome. And if you've already subscribed to the show, welcome back. Either way, I'm so happy to have you here couple bits of housekeeping before we jump in. First things first, as you may have noticed, we now have some amazing intro music. It's performed by a wildly talented band called Moxie, based out of Southern California. Funnily enough, I actually met Anna from Moxie during the summer of 2016, while I was interning for her at a jewelry startup in Southern California that helps provide jobs and educations for women in Uganda. We got to bond over the music we'd listened to during long days of fulfilling orders together, and ended up staying in touch long after I graduated school and Anna became a full-time musician. When I was thinking about doing music for the show, Anna's incomparable voice seemed like a perfect fit, so I reached out and felt so lucky that she came back with a ton of kindness and excitement to collaborate. Speaking of kindness, second bit of housekeeping, I just wanted to take a second to say a tremendous thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode, posted about it on Instagram, or told a friend about it. It honestly made my heart full of joy to know that this meant something to someone out there, so from the bottom of it, thank you. Okay, diving right in. So as God willing, I hope you know, March is Women's History Month. This, again, is a podcast predominantly about music influencing the lives of women and vice versa. So since I wrote and recorded this episode in March, it seemed only natural to connect those dots and do an episode about just a few of the women in history who've left a lasting mark on music in my life. Figuring out where even to begin from there was, not gonna lie, pretty rough, Uh, so I decided to focus on four women whose careers were sort of at their height between the 1930s and 1980s, but the details of whose lives aren't necessarily always the most frequently told stories when we think about women in music. Don't worry, I've got plenty more stories to tell you, so if you don't hear something you're anxious to have me cover today, there'll be way more opportunities in the future. But for now, sit back, relax, try not to think about that person who just coughed on you on the train or whatever, and have a listen. So first things first. For a really long time, Elvis Presley was sort of credited as the inventor of rock and roll, right? In reality, the creator of rock and roll was actually a queer, black woman named Sister Rosetta Tharp. She was a gospel singer first and foremost, and her love and devotion for her god permeated every inch of her music. She was also a proficient electric guitar soloist, among one of the first artists to incorporate heavy distortion, a form of audio signal processing that gave her music that gritty tone that became popularized by later artists in blues, rock, punk, and so on. Sidebar. As a reminder, my technical knowledge does not extend further than my research for this podcast, so thanks for bearing with me here. Anyway, so Sister Rosetta's early career straddled a difficult line. She sang her kick-ass gospel songs in nightclubs with the intention of bridging the gap, causing some discomfort from listeners on either end of her audience spectrum. Religious folks were none too sure about her wild music, and pop fans weren't always too keen on the god talk. At the time, as well, she was no stranger to one particular underhanded compliment. That she could play the guitar like a man. Aptitude at the guitar, at the time, was considered an exclusively masculine talent, so Sister Rosetta defied social, gender, and racial constructs with her songs, in particular outplaying many a man during guitar battles at the Apollo in New York. Journalist Richard Williams once wrote in The Guardian, nobody played wilder or more primal rock and roll than this woman who gave her life to God. Sister Rosetta was truly avant-garde, going on to inspire and influence Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, and countless others, defying convention every step of the way. Now, there's very little about 1960s bubblegum pop that I'd consider avant-garde, but Leslie Gore's 1963 single You Don't Own Me is an exception to that rule. In it, our heroine Leslie fearlessly defends her own freedom, the picture of resistance and resilience against a culture of people trying to change her or tether her, sounding equal parts sweet and sinister. Now That sentiment of not being up for ownership obviously burned within women's hearts since well before the song's early 60s release, but the fire and empowerment in Leslie Gore's voice wasn't something pop music was really used to at the time, especially not from women. Between that and her iconic release from the same year, It's My Party, a bop about her idiot boyfriend running off with some girl named Judy and having the nerve to show up at Leslie's birthday flaunting that he'd given this new girl his ring, I'd argue that Leslie Gore was one of the original sad girls. Leslie Gore was an underrated gift. Her true biggest hits, her two biggest hits were about crying if she damn well pleased at her own damn party and basically telling some dude to go fuck himself because she wasn't one of his toys. It might not look like it at first glance, but Leslie Gore was laying some serious groundwork. If it was pop, and she it was pop and she was a, more or less a few hit wonder, but the everlasting popularity of those two songs says a lot about the type of music a young Gore chose to record. And the kicker? Leslie Gore was actually super gay. Seriously. The whole time while Leslie was singing about Johnny running off with Judy, plot fucking twist, she actually wasn't into Johnny at all. Leslie's career in music was at its peak in a time when being gay was still super fucking scary and dangerous, and in her own words, the music industry itself was totally homophobic. She more or less had to pretend to be straight to preserve her career in its earlier years. And when she came out publicly on Ellen in 2005, she reflected on how she felt like she had to act, saying, I just kind of lived my life naturally and did what I wanted to do. I didn't avoid anything. I didn't put it in anyone's face. Maybe that's why Leslie's music still hits home so well. In a time when the whole world was trying to dictate how she should live, she held tightly to these songs that gave her the opportunity to fight back and rail against the notion that anyone could hold her down. In her later years... Leslie hosted a TV show on PBS called In the Life about LGBT issues. Since then, and since her passing in 2015, her music has continued to withstand the test of time. A couple years ago, Grace and g Easy recorded a cover of You Don't Own Me, though it's impossible to outdo the original badassery Leslie brought to the table. Though badassery might not be the first quality your mind conjures when you think about Dolly Parton, honestly, I'd urge you to reconsider. Dolly was born dirt poor, one of 12 children in a deeply rural Tennessee, but over the course of her career, she's gone on to become not just a singer and songwriter, but an actress, record producer, country music Hall of fame inductee, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. She's the most honored female country performer in history, and has got her own record label and her own theme park, which, sidebar, it is unironically and absolutely a lifelong dream of mine to go to Dollywood. Anyway, even though she came from nothing, Dolly always used her music as an opportunity to advocate for kindness and goodness. She outlines her humble beginnings with such tenderness and joy in one of her earliest songs to gain popularity, 1971's Coat of Many Colors, in which she sings about a coat she adores that her mother made out of different colored rags, and teaches some local bullies about the power of love from her mom's hand-stitched outfit, equating it to the Bible story of Joseph's good old Technicolor dream coat. Dolly's first single, though, was 1968's Just Because I'm a Woman, a slow burner against slut-shaming where she shuts down her boyfriend for the double standards in his attitude about their previous partners. Even though it was considered bold subject matter at the time, it was still a chart-topper. Throughout her career, regardless of whether it was a mirthlessly sassy commentary about the stereotype of being a quote-unquote dumb blonde or an expression of exasperation with workplace gender politics in her hit 9 to 5, which she adapted from a movie into a stage musical, Dolly has always been good at admonishing listeners to take her seriously and maintaining kindness and positivity in equal measure. If there's someone you can always count on to do the right thing, it's Dolly Parton. With the idea of kindness and doing the right thing in mind, this brings us to the last woman I want to highlight for this episode. Perhaps best known for her intimate, pure, and plainly spoken ballad, You've Got a Friend, Carole King is also the most successful songwriter of the latter half of the 20th century, logging 118 hits she wrote or co-wrote on Billboard's Hot 100, and 61 songs that topped the UK charts between 1955 and 1999. A part of her breakthrough 1971 hit album Tapestry which really propelled Carol's already successful career into stardom, You've Got a Friend is an expression of universal goodwill toward our fellow people. Carol claims she didn't write it with anyone in particular in mind, though her close friend James Taylor fell in love with the song too, and also recorded his own version. Both versions won Grammys. I actually got to see James Taylor perform it live at the Hollywood Bowl back in 2014 with my mom, which was pretty cool. Part of what makes Tapestry such a masterpiece of an album is how Carol really makes the listener feel like a close friend. Whether it's the fiery lust in I Feel the Earth Move, the wistfulness of Home Again, the determination of Beautiful, the exuberance of Where You Lead, which became repopularized as the Gilmore Girls theme song, every song makes you feel like you're catching up with one of your closest friends. Tapestry itself won four Grammys, including that for Best Album, and was ranked number 36 of Rolling Stone's list of 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. This willingness to be vulnerable is what first made Carole King special. Her first big hit actually wasn't a song she recorded herself, but one she wrote for the Shirelles to perform, a softly heartbreaking little ballad called Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, which took home the fucking crown of being the first number one hit recorded by a black girl group. For at least as long as she's been in the public eye, Carol has always been a feminist. Her third husband, some stupid asshole, physically abused her for most of their thankfully short-lived relationship and died of a cocaine overdose just a few days after they separated. During the 2017 Women's March, Carol carried a sign that simply read, One Small Voice. When asked about it by the Huffington Post, she said, I've never stopped believing that one small voice plus millions of other small voices is how we change the world. These four voices have certainly made an impact not just on my world, but on the worlds of millions of people. They gave us immeasurable talent, yes, but they also gave us otherness and heartbreak and anger and joy and companionship. Our complexity, our messiness, is what makes us all beautiful. Let these women guide us. Let them be north stars in supporting each other and beacons of determination to accept nothing less than leaving the world better than we found it. When you listen to this month's additions to the Spotify playlist, Sad Girl Jam" soundtrack, you'll notice brevity and grit in equal measure. That in and of itself is intended as a celebration of women in history. It's my intention to show you women's ability to be joyful, to be resolute, to be funny, to be supportive, to be sensual, to be fraught with worry, to be filled with fire. It's also my intention to show you that that doesn't change, no matter how far back or how forward you look in history. We're here, and we're not going anywhere. You'll hear songs from the women discussed in this episode, as well as a few new releases that felt like good fits, and another song from our dear friends, Moxie. Don't forget to check Moxie, that's M-O-X-I, out on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find music, and keep up with them on Instagram at Moxie moxielovesyou. You'll also hear another song of theirs on the way out of this podcast. Uh, that's all for this month. Uh, if you like what you heard, please take the time to leave a review on iTunes so more people can find this podcast and give it a listen. You can also throw a follow to our instagram at Jams if you haven't already to keep up with all kinds of interesting sad girl stuff between episodes and if you want to look for the podcast on spotify which i would highly recommend doing um just go ahead and search sad girl jams soundtrack it's public so the little icon art thing there is actually the same as the icon art for the podcast itself so should be pretty easy to find but it'll be under the user underscore lauren gardner uh, that's me. So Sad Girl Jams is written, edited, and produced by me. Thank you so, so much for listening. And remember, stay kind and own your weird shit.